3: Join the conversation.
4: Call Buck toll free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton.
5: In one particularly stirring moment at the hospital, the president met 28-year-old Thomas Gunderson, who is recovering from a gunshot wound to the leg. After being shot, Thomas drug himself behind a row of bleachers and began worrying that he may bleed out. But two young women rushed to his side, One tied a belt around his leg to stop the bleeding, and others rallied a group of men to carry him to safety. He suffered a torn muscle in his calf, making it difficult to stand. But when the president and the first lady walked into his room at the hospital, he endured the pain and rose to his feet. When asked why he did it, Thomas said, I will never lie down when the president of this great country comes to shake my hand. The Las Vegas strong hashtag that has swept across social media in recent days could not be more fitting.
3: There you have the most stirring moment of the uh, press conference earlier today in the White House where Sarah Sanders talked about Thomas Gunderson. He will not sit. He, He will insist on standing for the president of this great country despite being gravely wounded in the leg at the time. We have seen a lot of these stories, and it is important to highlight them. It is important for all of us to keep in mind that in the aftermath of such an atrocity of of so much horror and evil that there are good people all around us and that in fact most of us most of our fellow americans are exceptionally decent and moral and kind and brave so i i really was struck by that moment today with sarah sanders at the press conference so uh, Buck Sexton here with you all now, team in the Freedom Hut. I, I want to give you a sense of where we're going on today's show because I think that the uh, the media fixation on motive is now going beyond uh, what we can. There's more discussion of it than the facts can support at this point. We simply don't have enough information to come to a conclusion and just to keep on speculating uh, endlessly and, and wildly, at least for journalists. I mean, if you want to call in and give me your theory or speculate, by all means, because I'm the first one to to say, uh, at least I'm sure there are others as well in media, but I'm very quick to say that I can't tell you what the motive is here. And also, anyone who says they know, I I'm not buying it. I don't think anybody really knows. There's a lot of conjecture, a lot of supposition, a lot of, well, this is what I think, or I have sources that nobody else has that are telling me that they maybe have information that will determine that, well, you know, that we're getting into a lot of maybe kind of sort of here. And the motive is important. I want to know it. But I do have to just take a moment to make note of the fact that with the media in general, Democrat media, when I say the media, I mean big media. Right. So not talk radio, not Fox News, not you know the blaze, my former colleagues and friends there. I'm talking about the rest, the, the big media, big M media. When there's a, a jihadist who is running around, uh, yelling "Allahu Akbar" and 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 actually even in some cases, as we know, screaming into a phone about how he's doing this for the Islamic State, you will have journalists who are like, we, "We may never, we may never know the motive. We we may never fully know the motive here." And most of America sits around saying, uh, uh, "No, actually." We know the motive right now. Thanks. We're, we're all quite aware of what the jihadist running around stabbing people, yelling, I'm doing this for ISIS. Pretty sure we, we get the, We get the picture. Maybe there's some nuances, but we, we don't have to wait for those. You're, you'd hear a lot of that from the media, though. Oh, we may never know the motive. You heard this after the Chattanooga terrorist shooting. Guys going after U.S. military personnel, radicalized, uh, radicalized Muslim and very obvious what the motive was there, right? But, oh, we may never know the motive. And when Obama first spoke about it on TV and national broadcast, said maybe this is just uh, th- this is a shooting. He just referred to it as a shooting. Never used the T word. Never referred to it as terrorism. What's happened in Las Vegas, from what I can see, is not terrorism, as I have been saying, because there's no political motive to it. There's no political ideology that we know of yet driving it. I'm not saying impossible. I'm just saying we don't have it. It's not there yet. The pieces don't fit together, and I I want to be very honest with you about that. I feel like if nothing else, I can bring you honesty on this show. If I was just going to get as many people, oh, let me listen, let me listen to this guy. Oh, he, you know, he's really on to something. I could throw out all kinds of wild theories, or or my favorite game, via, well, my uh, sources in the intelligence community. P- please, unless somebody is directly working on this investigation or very, very senior in the government, they're not going to know anything that's not already known. And there are some folks out there who are saying they know stuff. And I'm like, well, very tough to keep a secret. The single biggest, a, a bombshell revelation on the single biggest news story in the country. Um, but I would just note that you would hear, under other circumstances, we may never know the motive. And now, finally, here is here is a case where we may never fully know the motive. We we need to be prepared for that possibility here. I could wake up tomorrow and splashed across the Drudge Report. I may see a headline that you know, manifesto found, and then we'll know. But based on what we're seeing right now and what we've been told right now, I don't have it. Uh, I, I don't I don't see what what it is, and I don't. I, he's a psychopath. He wanted to go out, just murdering as many people as possible. Hidden life. I, I've seen all of the uh, the snippets from the press conference. We played some of the press conference for you live. But people are saying, well, he did not act alone. Maybe. I think that, I think he was alone as the shooter, but maybe somebody helped him in the process of getting all these firearms together and knew something and should have said something. I know they have his girlfriend in custody. She is cooperating with the FBI. It's just a hunch, and I know hunches in these situations can be dangerous, but I, I don't see how... I don't see her being anything other than somebody who just didn't know, didn't know about this, uh, this guy's double life or the the demons that he was harboring. Um, I, I saw the reporting that he was mean to her in a uh, there were, were reports about this. He was mean to her in a Starbucks and anyone who's uh, verbally and particularly physically abusive to their significant other in, in any context and especially in public, it is an enormous red flag in a whole bunch of ways. But. Doesn't mean that somebody's going to become the biggest domestic uh, mass. Ter- uh, see, I almost said the T word. I didn't mean to. The biggest domestic mass shooter in U.S. history. Right. So we're trying to put the pieces together, but I just would caution you: there's a lot of a lot of irresponsible theorizing out there that doesn't take into account the full scope of the facts as we have them right now. So, uh, if by the way, if you think I'm missing something. I I rely on all of you listening to this show. You are my OMSBUDS persons, I guess. We don't say Armsbudsmen. That's a that's a micro or a macro aggression. I don't know. It's the patriarchy. i um, It's a tough word to say, especially on radio. But you guys keep me honest and keep me accurate. You know, heaven forbid I get the wrong date or name or something during a history deep dive or even worse if I make a mistake with regard to firearms law, I'm going to hear about it from plenty of you. But I want th- I want to know I always, and I, I want to make those corrections. So if there's something in my analysis that you think is lacking, or if you just want to add your your own sense of what you think is not being talked about enough with regard to understanding this attack, I would like to hear about it. So 844 uh, 900 844-900 buck, 844 900 2825. If you want to add something in the conversation on this, please do. So I also have to deal with, uh, Additional. See, here's here's actual reportings. I can tell you the source of it and I can tell you what we think is uh, going on with regard to the entity that is making the claim here. The Islamic State has generally speaking through its Amak news agency has generally not claimed attacks that it had no connection to or where there was no even inspiration of by the Islamic State. That's that's generally meaning because there have been times when, in fact, they did claim things that we feel like were not in any way, shape or form tied to not just ISIS directly as an organization, but to the Islamic State's ideology. ISIS has doubled down. So that's important context for this. But ISIS has doubled down, saying that the shooter converted six months ago now. So they're giving specifics now. and, And, you know, ISIS is really trying to push this. I'm telling you, I still don't buy it. That doesn't mean I know for a fact it's wrong. It just means I'm not buying it. I don't. I don't agree. This is what I did, right? I was an analyst. I analyzed things. This is what I did for the government. It's what I do now on the show. Um, you know, lots of lots of paperwork and lots of coffee. But I, I was good at it. That I will say, I was good at analyzing things for the government. And I, I don't. I would not go forward with this line of analysis. I would not. I would not show the policymaker a document that says, hey, the Islamic State is claiming credit for this. I find that credible. I just don't find it credible. But it is, un- it is really unusual. I think you could even say unprecedented for ISIS to push so hard that they had you know, some role, even if it's just a, a role of inspiration, right? They may not have directed it, but they, this person did it for ISIS. Um, I don't buy it. I, I do not buy it. But here's an interesting side note to this, I think that maybe the Islamic State, because it has been losing so much territory and is so on the defensive now in not just Iraq but also in Syria, uh, they they have reached a point where they're desperate for global attention and they will try to uh, use the propaganda effect of attaching themselves to the attack, in uh, to the mass murder in Las Vegas, just so that people are still talking about ISIS, which does tell us quite a lot about how that campaign is going. But that's the only explanation I can come up with for why they would, not once, but now again and fully and with more details, claim that this individual converted to Islam six months ago. So like I was saying, I don't buy it, but I, I, also, don't, I also don't know, and I am completely open to it. And new inf- As new information comes in, I will look at it and and I'm I'm open to saying that, you know, I got this one wrong. But so far, I don't see that. Um, He I I think he had I think he was hiding my assessment right now. Uh, I think he is or was rather. I think that uh, Stephen Paddock was hiding deep uh, psychological uh, issues. I mean, I I think that he was I think he was a psychopath. That's. Verifiable just by his actions, but I believe he was probably suppressing that for a long time. Um, we will see. and now there are forensic psych- uh, psychiatrists who are going on TV, and they're you know the, the if you talk to people in the medical profession, they say it's always a tough thing. You know, you you want to provide your expertise so you can do the diagnosis from afar, but psychiatrists can only give you a pretty broad sense of what maybe was involved here with an individual without actually ever having talked to them or done any direct analysis of the person. Uh, so, but he, here are some of the uh, other things that I know have come People are saying he did not act alone, that the uh, shooter, uh, Stephen Paddock, did not act alone. Maybe. That's law enforcement. I think law enforcement speculation now, unless they obviously know a lot of things I don't know. Uh, we know he spent a lot of money. We know that he paid cash so that he could have additional privacy at uh, property that he owned. And he was hiding a lot from people. That doesn't tell us what the uh, conclusion is going to be here. It's not enough to go on yet to say this is what this is. And I am hopeful that we will find out more that will allow us to come to a a conclusion about this. But um, I, I still just don't know. Psychopath. That much I know. Beyond that, not sure. And if you have any thoughts or ideas... Like I said, please do call in to give you a sense of where we're going on the show, because we're going to cover a lot of ground today, as I think we generally do. Uh, gun control arguments, some interesting new layers into that discussion today. We'll get to uh, bumpfire stocks. And my opinion, here's where I'm on this. I'm actually OK with regulating bumpfire stocks more. And I have been fighting back against the gun control stuff for years now. And it's the first time I, I know some of you are going to disagree with me. That's fine. Some of you might even be a little annoyed with me for saying this. But let, well, let me at least explain why. And you can call in and tell me why I'm wrong. I mean, I, you're probably going to say, Buck, bonfire stocks, It's not going to save any lives. It's not going to stop any crimes. It's irrelevant. And you're just making a concession to the other side. And what I would say to you, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But I, I know what the counter argument is, but we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, We'll talk about the gun control side of all this. Also, the Iran deal, the Trump administration announced just a little bit before I came on air, or I should say reporters have announced that the Trump administration will decertify. We'll talk about that. Also, you have Green Berets ambushed in Niger. We'll do a buck brief on that and uh, some background on what's going on in Niger, the counterterrorism fight there. Maybe I'll get into uh, Harvey Weinstein's latest troubles. Those of you who don't know, he's a huge Hollywood mogul who uh, has been exposed in the New York Times for some very, very bad behavior. Uh, we'll get into that if I have time, because I think there are some lessons for the media industry as a whole. Team Buck Speaks coming up. I've got more show than I can even talk about before this break. So that's what you can expect. Stay with me for this ride. I'll be right back. We have multiple leads all across the United
4: States and all across the world for our legal attaches, determining the whereabouts and the travel patterns of all the people involved in this investigation. And that was gross.
3: That's the FBI there saying in a press conference about Las Vegas that, you know, we got leads all over the world. Well, that I mean, I'm glad that they're chasing down leads, but it doesn't sound like they're very close to knowing a whole lot about what happened beyond what we already know. That could change. We'll see. Uh, let's take... Alex, listening in Virginia on the iHeart app. What's going on, Alex?
6: Hey, yeah, I was just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, I think the news and media is kind of creating this. What do you mean? Hey, are you there? Sorry.
3: Yeah, yeah, the That's news and media. Okay, there's more. because I'm like, the news and media is creating this. How? What do you mean?
6: Well, I think they're creating a high score for these psychopaths. They always want to be out there, the first to say, oh, this is the biggest event in history and none has been bigger than this and so we got a psychopath sitting there listening to the news thinking well you know what i can beat that if i just do this or that i can totally beat that so uh,
3: do you do you then uh, are you somebody who buys into the we shouldn't use the shooter's name because we don't want them to you know live on in an in, in infamy but famous infamy forever i mean is that I, I feel like these are i
6: i totally agree i i think well, obviously, you're probably going to need to know the person's name. But over and over again, this shooter known as the person in history that can do this, and it becomes a high score video game for these psychopaths that are suicidal anyway.
3: Hmm. I mean, I, I don't. know. I, I, it's tough to get in the mind of somebody who would murder one innocent person for no reason whatsoever. Never mind fifty, fifty-eight, and and shoot at almost fi- and wound almost five hundred more. Uh, so I don't I don't know what this I mean I guess you're saying that you think that the media hype creates an environment for this but it's an incredibly it's an incredibly rare event for someone to do this actually overall I mean there's 320 million people in this country and there's a handful of mass shootings every year so I you know you can point at a lot of uh, a lot of root causes for this stuff but I'm not sure that you know if if too much becomes a factor then nothing is a factor and I think that the the media's role in this is well, you've got your opinion, Alex, and okay. I mean, I'm not, I can't say you're wrong. I just think that that seems a little overstated to me.
6: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a stretch, but you got to... Okay, I mean, it's, well, it it's a stretch. In, in, his, in history, as it goes on, it, we're just seeing more and more and more of it.
3: Yeah, well, we're more oh, aware man. of it. And, and thank you, Alex, for calling in from Virginia. I mean, we're certainly more aware of these things now because of um, the 24-hour news cycle and the instantaneous connection to so much information and news that we have. Although... And this is a complete—this You might. This might even be a non-sequitur, so, so pardon me for going off on this. I wonder if there's any way to, to measure. I feel like people now can walk—forget this is forget about Las Vegas. This is a completely separate thought from all the Las Vegas stuff. But people now walk around. We carry vast troves of information in our pockets. But when you hear, like, these letters written by, like, World War I soldiers back to their families— and I'm sure not the only person ever thought about this—they're like, wow— these guys didn't even, you know, necessarily go to high school and they're writing with all this eloquence. And I'm sitting here with the equivalent of like a million encyclopedia Britannica's in my pocket looking around. And I'm like, do we know more stuff than the people did 100 years ago? I mean, no off the top of our heads. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's just a thought. Just a thought. alright We're going to get back into the debate over bumpfire stocks here because I think you're going to have some opinions on that. NRA says, yeah, regulate them. We'll be there. Stay with me. And uh, or actually they say, let's think about regular, pardon me, let's think about regulating them, so but that's a surprise I think for some folks in the NRA we'll hit that when we come back
6: I'm tired, so I apologize in advance, but I have to tell you uh, a lot of this just doesn't wash all you need to know about the bump stock is, is that it was legal, and that's what allowed him to lay down that field of fire that's all you need to know about it, there's and no so thoughtful conversation a, to have about so it, of course it was 2010, of course it was the Obama administration I'm saying, don't cheapen what happened in Las Vegas? Oh, no, no, Vegas. no, don't go the there. People the people who were I'm going to go there, my friend.
7: You're talking about the urgency to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You and your network have felt an urgency about Russia and some phony baloney collusion this entire calendar year. Nobody you know says it's much? phony baloney. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Nobody Excuse who's investigating
6: says it's phony baloney, by okay. the way. Well, the well, Republicans does. included. Okay. Do you know the
7: airtime that you have spent? Do you know the graphics? Do you have any graphics on bump stocks? No, you don't. You have graphics on Russia. You have graphics on palace intrigue. You have graphics on impeachment. You have people. You have panels seven versus one against the president.
3: Kelly and Conway getting it done there. By the way, I got to say, standing her ground up against you know Chris Cuomo, which like, hey, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, come on. I mean, you know, Trump. No one says that. Eh? Oh. oh. Oh, Mr. Cuomo. Um, there you have it. Bump stocks. That's now that's now the big discussion. Uh, I have been very clear with you on this show all week, and, and in the past as well. though I'm not sure how much we've talked about it until now. Uh, on on Buck Sexton with America. Now on the previous radio show I did, we certainly talked about gun control a lot. Uh, I don't think I mean I've I've gone over all the arguments. You're familiar with them. So now here's here's where it stands. Uh, bump stocks. There's the possibility that there may be, with a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican president, maybe there'll be some minor gun control action here. Maybe. I, you know, we shall see. The administration is certainly willing to look at this issue, I think. So that's, that's the beginning of it. And, and here's, where I, here's where I stand on this one. Oh, wait, we've got Sarah Huckabee Sanders on bump stocks, actually.
5: We know that both members of both parties uh, in multiple organizations are planning to take a look at bump stocks and related devices. We certainly welcome that. would like to be part of that conversation, uh, and we would like to see a clear understanding of the facts, and we'd like to see input from the victims' families, from law enforcement, from policymakers, uh, and we're expecting hearings and other important fact-finding efforts on that, and we want to be part of that discussion. We're certainly open to that (laughs) moving forward.
3: Okay, so... Bump stocks, bump fire stocks. All right. Uh, they may they may be more heavily regulated. Here would be my proposal for this. And and I should know before people call it and yell, and by the way, you can always call in and yell at me as long as you're nice about your yelling. Um but before we get into this, understand the ATF, I'm sorry, the NRA has called for an ATF review of bump stocks. So don't don't say, Buck, you you commie pinko anti-american anti-second amendment how could you with bump stocks the nra is saying yeah we'll take a look at bump stocks okay so this is and i i will i came out on twitter at least and said look i think maybe bump stocks should be regulated the way that automatic weapons are regulated and and i know that there's a lot of you out there who are incredibly much more knowledgeable than i'm about firearms and you can get into all the different specifics about this although i will say i'm more knowledgeable about firearms than I would wager 90 to 95 percent of journalists, maybe more, maybe 97. Right. I mean, there are are obviously some former military out there in journalism world who are pundits. I'm talking about the like correspondents and reporters out of that group. Definitely, definitely above 90 percent. So I'm never going to call for a ban on silenced pistol bazookas. You know, that's that that you will not have that mistake happen here in the Freedom Hunt. Uh, I have fired. A lot of automatic weapons. I've fired automatic. I've I've fired automatic weapons with silencers. Okay, And all of you are military. Like, yeah, so is everybody, Buck. I know. I know. I'm just saying journalists are are wildly uh, ignorant uh, on this subject, but very passionate at the same time. They're like, we must ban all of those things that go pew, 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 pew. It's like suppressors. No, no. The ones that go pew, 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 pew. Yeah. Suppressors. Silencers. Oh, okay. You want to call them silencers, right? they don't make anything silent but nonetheless here we are uh but bump stocks i know that it 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 mimics automatic weapons fire and it's just using the recoil of the of the butt it's using the action of the rifle to fire faster but you know the, the truth is that uh, automatic weapons fire is already well automatic weapons are already very heavily regulated and i don't know of any widespread movement among second amendment uh, amendment defenders, I don't know of anything with the NRA to say, no, we should have, everybody should be able to get a full auto. Because right? there are some limits. Even Justice Scalia, rest in peace, was willing to say that based on originalist understanding of the Constitution, uh, you know, walking around with like a headman's axe would not have been considered normal arms to bear. And so there can be some limitations, right? A musket carried by the militia and a musket carried by the, you know, by the standing army. I mean, OK, that, that, that's in, in common usage. But having a, a giant you know, mortar firing 20 inch projectiles in your backyard or something, I mean, th- that may actually be out of common usage and so could be regulated while still respecting the uh, the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms. So we already have the limitation of automatic weapons, and it's not a ban, mind you. You can get an automatic weapon. There's just a, a limitation on whether they're before. I always get the date wrong. I think it's 1984. I forget what the date. Ty, could you let me know what the what the ban on automatic weapons when it goes? Because there's manufacture. There's a manufacturing date. If it's made before, then it's it's one thing. But it can't be sold if it's made after that date. Uh, so I think I want to say it's like 87 or 84 something like that so we already have that and, and you, they're very expensive because there aren't that many automatics in in use and those of you who have fired automatic weapons which i know is a lot of you but those of you who haven't very very uh easy to you know fire and miss it's it's if you're going to sit there on the trigger um you can you can spray you'll spray a lot of rounds in a lot of places so not a great thing for not a great thing, not a necessary thing for home defense. And before people start yelling at me, no one's been making the argument up until now that we need automatic weapons, in you know, as as a function of of uh, Second Amendment rights, or at least there's been no major movement in in that regard. So then you get to bump fire stocks. Why have? Why do we? Why would you have a bump fire stock? And I know that this is. You can say, well, Buck, why do you need a, a twenty round or a thirty round magazine, right? Or a clip, as a lot of journalists like to say, which is a, a would be very specific, actual way to feed ammunition into a gun that's not accurate and i know people get very upset about this stuff uh but i don't see why a an additional rate look silencers are very and this is this has become a a debate recently silencers are very heavily regulated and i think and suppressors see i'm using the silencer term i should use suppressor and i think that there's a clear argument for why that's not in our uh I think that that doesn't serve the purpose that it's supposed to, which is that people say, oh, well, if you have if you have suppressors, now people are going to go out and shoot people and no one's going to hear it. That's not true, as anybody, including myself, who has fired a whole bunch of things with suppressors knows. But so that's based on a fallacy. But bump fire it's pretty much like an, it's, I know it's not an automatic. You don't have to tell me, oh, buck, the receiver's is different. I understand it's a different firing mechanism. It's not actually automatic, but it does allow one to fire at 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 near-automatic weapons speed. So are, are we... The NRA is saying that we can review it. Should we review it? Now we get... Okay, so that's the mechanics of it and the reality. The politics of this, here's how I see it. And I could be wrong, and every line is lit, so I know people want to talk about this, as I figured they would. Uh, as I see it, by doing this, it makes it harder, although they'll still do it, for the gun grabbers to say they'll never... They're just absolutists they're absolutists on the Second Amendment, which is of course is not true because there's already a lot of regulations and a lot of laws in place about guns but they'll say that it'll be harder to say that, and it it is a concession to a reasonable standard of firearms regulation that conservatives might or the right might make here. Will it stop any crime? no, will it stop any mass shootings no but does anyone really care if they can't buy a bump fire stock? Which, let's be honest, even among gun owners, how many even knew what a bumpfire stock was? I mean, I, I, I was familiar with them. I, I've never fired one, and I've fired a lot of different stuff in my day. So, all right. Since we have every line lit, I feel like people have opinions on this. Team Buck, your opinions are incredibly valuable to me. Let us let you share them. Stay with me right after the break. We will get into this. And if you have thoughts on Las Vegas uh, Motive as well, by the way, all all of the above we can get into. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton back with you here in the Freedom Hut team. We've got uh, every line lit, so let's get to it. Jason in Arizona on the iHeart app. What's going on, Jason?
1: Hey, uh, Shields High, Buck Sexton. Shields High. And Freedom Hut. Anyways, uh, the reason why I'm calling is uh, there's been uh, obviously about a lot of stuff about the bump stock. And uh, you already explained about how the difference is between an automatic weapon and a semi-automatic. And the whole concept of, obviously, the semi-automatic is as fast as you can pull the trigger um, is how fast you can pop the rounds. If you go on YouTube and you, pop in, uh, you pop, uh, type in uh, belt loop butt stock. Okay, I guess what we need to do also- Yeah, I know, it uses
3: that, the- ac- no. I, You're right, I know, it, I know what you're going to say. It uses the action of the rifle itself. You can loop it into your belt, and, and, it, and it's- But I mean, it, you could barely hit the broad side of a barn that way, as you know. It's incredible. It's like, it's like yeah, uh, firing from the hip on laser, sort of auto. If
1: you attach a laser to the barrel, and you go to a range, and you sight the laser, then you can use that as your accuracy. And that's being someone who knows how to use firearms. Um, what I would like to say is that the guy was also a pilot. He had two planes, supposedly, and a bunch of explosives in his car. What if he would have sat here and packed his plane with explosives and crashed into the crowd? Are we going to ban pilot's license? Are we going to sit here and do all this other stuff? That's not the issue. The issue is the morale and the foundation of this nation, which we have veered from. And you know as well as I know that these people like Chuck Schumer and all these other guys, they're all a bunch of liars and they, they, they hate it. it. To me, it seems like they hate this country. They're always spit on the flag. They're always siding with the enemies. They're always doing this. And I'm just sick of it. And a lot of other people are sick of it as well. I know Democrats in the union that love their second amendment rights. And if these guys want to stay here and I mean, what, how are you going to stop this? The, the only way to stop it is to get back to the foundation. It doesn't matter. He could have done all kinds of things to sit here and kill people. And he's demon they're demonizing people and causing more uh, divisive stuff for no reason. I mean, so you're so so
3: no, no bonfire ban. You're voting no bonfire ban. You think it's totally, totally a a non-starter.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And I mean, it, it doesn't matter. You know, there's no we have enough laws. There's what? 20 something thousand gun laws in this country how many more laws do you need to come up with there's nothing you can do other than change the morale of the society by giving back to the foundation yeah. of i mean look thing.
3: this is my concern is that so so from i'm coming at this mostly from a political perspective and not actually a because i feel like how many people even own bump fire stocks you know who, who really cares right i mean if you've got your if you got your ars and you like to go shoot them i mean you're not going to like shooting them without a bump fire, i don't know but my uh, well, it's not it, it's he not, he not that i'm wait wait hold, wait now. jason hold on matter. i i admire your passion and your expertise just give me one second to me it's there's the the political advantage of saying all right fine you guys are going to whine about bump fire stocks we'll get rid of bump fire stocks but everything else is off the table now now i know that people can respond to that by saying well buck once you make a concession you know it's just like uh chumming the water with the sharks right once you say okay we'll get rid of bump fires then it's okay we'll also get rid of folding stocks at a national level we'll also get rid of a mount for a bayonet exactly. all the other stuff I, I, I totally hear that I, I hear that concern but all right so we'll see man we'll see Jason. oh jason i think jason's like will you hear it fine you're done though. thank you jason for calling in james up in alaska K E N I. what's going on james
2: hello sir how are you
3: i'm good sir how are you
2: Wow, First-time caller, long-time listener.
3: Thank you very much. Love my, Alaska, love my Alaska team, Buck, folks.
2: Amen to that. Hey, uh, Buck, the, last night on Hannity, he was interviewing interviewing two um, investigators, and the investigators were talking about the brother. And just before the interview ended, the one um, – but both investigators were talking to Handy and he said that there was holes and inconsistencies in the brother's story. And then Sean Eddie quick, uh, Hannity quickly went to commercial. So there's something there. Um, and the brother also has, you know, uh, somewhat of a criminal background. He's been in trouble before. I don't know exactly what he was in trouble with, but there's something there. There's a red flag. Uh, uh, on that guy, I just think we ought to keep our eyes on him. So you th-
3: you think there's something? So you don't? Uh, just so I'm clear here, James, you don't you haven't sensed anything. And look, we're talking about gut feeling here. I know that everyone's you know innocent until proven yeah. guilty, and there's no no even charges being brought yeah. against these folks. But the, the girlfriend doesn't sound like you, you, you're not seeing anything anything there. But you think the brother might be not telling everything he knows?
2: Yeah, I think the girlfriend is just um, just left out of the loop. In fact, he sent her away and bought her a ticket and said and you know she even took it as when she got that money that it was being broken to me that's logical uh it makes sense to me she's not on my radar my radar is the brother okay. my radar is on the brother and and as far as the you know the bunch stock deal with you know what <laughs> a guy at the 3d printer can make one in about 12 minutes and you can regulate and and uh i mean you can pound one out of a piece of metal and make it work you can like I said, with a 3-D printer, you can make those just, you know, by the hundreds in and, and a few days. So, I mean, they can regulate all they want. If somebody wants to cr- commit, you know, a mass shooting, a criminal act of some type, you know, where there's a will, there's a way.
3: Yeah, well, I, I don't disagree uh, with any of that, James. Think. And and I do think, yeah. I, I started from the outset saying, I don't think a bump fire ban or a bump, it wouldn't be a ban, right? Bump fire regulation I don't think that's gonna right. save anyone's life. I don't think it's gonna prevent any crime. I don't think yeah. it's gonna stop a mass shooting. But I also feel like it's not that, you know, it's 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 down in the minutiae at a level where it doesn't really you know, they say everybody has to have a ten round limitation of magazines. I'm like, well, that's affecting a lot of people and a lot of magazines, right? So but I you know, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Once you once you make these concessions, a lot more can follow. But James, stay warm up in Alaska, my friend. Shields high. Lisa, California iHeart app. What's going on, Lisa? Hi Buck, how are you? I'm good, Lisa. Thanks for calling in.
8: Go team Buck. Okay, my theory on this guy is simply he's either a lunatic, white supremacist, a terrorist, or an anti leftist. And we can rule out lunatic because of the complexity of what he did. He's not a white supremacist because he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, and he went to wait, 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 wait. Right hold, hold on,
3: Lisa. He was a Bernie. Do we know that?
8: Yes, we do know that.
3: He was a Bernie where, how do we know that he was a Bernie Sanders him? supporter?
8: He's a Bernie Sanders supporter. I can prove it through uh Gavin your good friend Gavin McGinnis. Uh,
3: okay. Uh send us from, send us some links wait, on
8: from Red Eye, from Red Eye. Uh, no, He's I know, know who
3: Gav I know who Gavin is, but you know, uh you're gonna you have to trust give me...
8: Gavin's informational gathering techniques. All
3: uh. right. I don't know. I don't know, Lisa. You're going to have to send me some info on this one. I I, I will send
8: you the photographic evidence. All right. I will send you the photographic evidence. So he's a Bernie
3: Sanders supporter, but you've got about 30 seconds. Go ahead. Finish your thought.
8: Okay. My thought is is that all he did was say that the right are Nazis and that he dehumanized us, and now he's able to just wipe a bunch of people out because we're all Nazis.
3: Mm, Okay. Lisa, thank you for calling you in and sharing. You are a, a, a great and valued uh, Team Buck supporter and member of Team Buck. I have seen no evidence to support any of that, though. So I got to – that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm just – I haven't seen any of that. So I can't – all I can say is well, I haven't seen it. I've got more. Stay with me.
2: When you look at the the, the weapon obtaining, um, the different amounts of Tannerite available, um, do you think this was all accomplished on his own? Self-value um, – face value. You got to make the assumption that he had to have some help at some point. And we want to ensure that that's the answer.
3: Saying there was an assumption or you can make the assumption. That was Clark County Sheriff Joseph Lombardo in the press conference about the Las Vegas shooting saying that you can assume that he had help. Well, now tonight you've got on the main banner at CNN over here. I can see on the screen uh, that officials say that there's no reason to believe despite the sheriff's comment that that, uh, Paddock had a cat help in the mass shooting in Las Vegas, so you know we, we we're hearing yes, and then we're hearing no. Who who knows? Also, to this notion of the political motive, which I know is what a lot of people are focusing in on, there is still we would look for. it, There's still no evidence, and in fact, uh, Tyrone, where where was he? Where was he looking again? Chance the Rapper, Chicago, right? So because we keep people are saying, oh, it's country music. Even that CNN guy Jeff Zeleny initially was saying it's country music. So much have been against Trump supporters. Um, I don't want to make assumptions, but I don't know how many, you know, I I don't know what the politics are. of I mean, Chance the Rapper, I'm assuming they're you, we. OK, so probably a lot of Democrats in the crowd, The point here being the political targeting is there's just no, I'm not saying no, it's just we don't have evidence yet. And a lot of people are out there saying, oh, I think it's political targeting because I know that's going to get every Oh, that's like the Scalise shooting. Maybe, but we don't know that yet. So let's wait until we have facts for it. Um, Speaking of facts, we've got somebody who has them and more. Kim Strassel joins us now, everybody. She's the author of The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. She's also a wonderful columnist for The Wall Street Journal and wrote uh, the column today, The Gun Control Mirage, for the editorial board. And uh, we're very pleased to have her on. Kim, thank you so much. Buck, it's great to be here. So, Kim, I know you're also a, a gun gal, somebody who grew up With and around firearms and so have a personal, unlike many of the uh, journalist colleagues that are out there, not at the journal per se, but uh, elsewhere, not a lot of familiarity with guns. You're actually a lady who knows her way around a firearm. So you in in your piece uh, and and I'm now I feel like I'm about to be persuaded that maybe I should be totally against the notion of a bump fire regulation here. You say basically no dice on the bump fire uh, ban. Tell me why
7: no, no i i we didn't actually say that. We said we were open to the idea of regulating them, uh, and you do have some Republican members and even the n r a out now saying that this would be a reasonable thing to look at okay. Uh, okay so
3: so so you agree with me then I thought I thought actually you took the other position go ahead tell tell me why no, I'm no. right. <laughs>
7: No, so so I mean I think you're right because look for those of us I I know what a bump stock is. I also know what bump firing is, which is it, it, it's simply a technique. You don't need the bump stock to do it. It's it's the practice of putting your finger in front of the trigger and using the recoil of the gun to quickly bump the trigger and fire quickly. Okay, now a bump stock makes it easier to accomplish that. So I guess the point that we made in the editorial is that there's really no reason to make it easier to do that. The people who buy these, it's for thrill-seeking. There's no real purpose of having an item like this. Uh, And if it seems like it might be a public health hazard, then uh, there's no reason necessarily not to regulate them. But if you think that this is going to solve the problem of mass public shootings, or you think it could stop someone from going out and practicing bump firing without a, a device like this, then you are fooling yourself.
3: Right. I mean, this is. Uh, it, it reminds me in some way of the argument about magazine uh limitations, which are, you know, magazine restrictions. Which, if somebody spends some time, in, in fact, there are there are ways, depending on on the on the weapon. I mean, there are ways to always have one in the chamber, including when you're switching out magazines. And if you get good enough at switching out magazines, you just get ten more mag. Right. You just have a lot more magazines. So. You, you can with, with enough precision and skill, the magazine limitation thing doesn't make much difference. And I know that's come up in the past as well. In your piece here, you write that Congress uh, Congress could outlaw bump stocks. But how does it outlaw technique? The practice of quickly bumping a trigger with one's finger to engage in rapid fire long predates bump stocks or other accessories. End quote. Do you think that Trump's going to go ahead with this? You think they're going to do something that Congress is going to try to just make a concession to the other side here?
7: look they probably will and I, and again i think probably for good reason even the nra came out and said again these should be investigated uh is is there a, a purpose to them i mean look we we didn't ban but we heavily regulate automatic firearms and we have done since the 1930s even more drastically since the 1980s. And if you have a, an accessory to a gun that more easily allows you to replicate automatic fire, and there's no real purpose to this, I, I would struggle to think of any person who would say why they would need this other than to have fun, um, then, then I think that there's an argument for why maybe you wouldn't do it. But just... M- if they're going to go out and say that, they also need to be clear that this is not solving the problem. And I would hope that President Trump uh, and the Republicans, if they go down this road, would say this, because what we're watching right now is it's, it's a mirage. The, none of the gun control measures that are being proposed by the left or have been proposed in the past would do anything to have stopped a Stephen Paddock.
3: Speaking to Kim Strassel, she's Wall Street Journal Uh, columnist and member of the editorial board at the Journal. Um, Kim, before, I want to talk to you about gerrymandering, because it's a big deal, although I I know it's kind of given some of the news lately, people are like, you're really going to talk about gerrymandering now? But it it really has... It's cool! Yeah, it's got very large implications for politics and and the future of this country, but before I go there, I just want to know, and you can Not not plead the fifth, but if you want to pass on this one, fine. Do you have any gut inclination about what the motive is in Las Vegas? I mean, is there anything that jumps out to you other than guys are crazy, homicidal maniac or what do you think?
7: It's funny, I heard you talking about this. And, of course, given our recent uh, other episodes, for instance, terror attacks, but the shooting of the Republicans out on the baseball field, you do automatically want to search for something like a political motive or a religious motive. Um, but, you know, my colleague Holman Jenkins had a, a great piece in the journal this week pointing out the, the story of Mark Barton, who a lot of people have forgotten. and He was this uh, day trader down in Atlanta who in the 1990s randomly killed nine people. Um, and it turned out that later they found out that he was a, a longtime psychopath. And a lot of people understood this, but there was just never any evidence or cause to hold him. Um, so we don't know what it is that's behind Paddock, but we shouldn't necessarily jump to the conclusion that there is a, a political or cultural or religious motivation.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if I were, were better, on this one. Um I would think that maybe we'll find out that, you know, he used to I don't know, you know, try to like set small animals in the neighborhood on fire or something. I mean, because that actually does happen with psychopaths. When they look deep enough into their backgrounds, they'll find that there was something that was clearly a disconnect and 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 any adult, even when someone's a child would be like, whoa, that's really that would be my guess. I don't think we're going to find a manifesto that says you know, I, I hate this political party or that or, you know, I'm I'm pro health care or anti health care or whatever. I don't see that, but I could be wrong. But we'll see. OK, uh, Kim, uh, tell us about tell us gerrymandering. Why should people listen and care?
7: OK, well, first of all, gerrymandering is a huge problem and we should all understand that because it dramatically makes elections less competitive. Uh, you know, you basically have politicians who are drawing lines and making certain safe seats. Uh, one of the ways that conservatives always thought you could bust this up was through term limits. Uh, but that hasn't really worked out so well. The bigger problem is gerrymandering. The question though is who do you want to see solve that problem? And what we have now are some Democrats who've gone to the Supreme Court, the court's taken up the case. They are asking the court to say, uh, you guys should be in charge of deciding when gerrymandering has gone wrong. And I think that's a terrible idea for the position it would put the court into.
3: And so what is a what is a better option? I mean, what what should happen?
7: Well, what we have seen is in some states, and Iowa's a good example, they've set a commission that's done a fairly decent job. Is it ever going to be perfect? No but a fairly decent job of trying to draw districts in a less partisan fashion. Other states have tried this too, like California. It hasn't worked out as well because of flaws in the way that commission works, and also because of the way people self-select where they're going to live. Look, there are simply parts of California where you can't draw a district that isn't entirely full of liberal voters. So uh, you would actually be going out of your way to a district to put conservatives into it uh, if you went down that road. But leaving this to states is a far better idea than inserting the judiciary in here. And John Roberts, the chief justice, he posed an excellent question during the the. Uh, the the oral arguments in which he said, look, you guys are going to come to us with a bunch of gobbledygook formulas in which, you know, you say these these were the formulas on which his derrymandering was based... And we may take a very close look at those and render our decision. But in the end, the average person on the street is not going to know whether or not those formulas were correct. They're only going to see the Supreme Court saying, well, the court ruled in favor of Democrats or the court ruled in favor of Republicans. And do we really want to politicize our judiciary even more in that way?
3: Kim Strassel is the author of The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech, available on Amazon or in fine bookstores everywhere. Also, check out her latest column in The Wall Street Journal, in which she writes about the gun control mirage with her editorial board uh, colleagues, and they say that they're open, at least, to bump fire regulation. Kim, great to have you. Thanks again for calling.
7: Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Buck.
3: Team, phones are open. 844-900-2825.
1: Our response time to that incident... I can honestly say
3: for our first arriving unit was less than five seconds. And the reason I say that is Fire Engine 11,
1: who's stationed about a mile south on Las Vegas Boulevard, was coming back from a traffic accident call. They had hooked left on Reno, headed east, turned on to Giles, and the captain's like, that's gunfire. They were right there at the fence to the
3: event. Got the uh, fire chief in Las Vegas saying we were right there, right away, on it. So the response from law enforcement and from first responders, like the fire department, seems to have been uh, spot on, fast, and uh, and sufficient. So just wanted to wanted to update you on that. We got calls coming. We got calls coming in here. Uh, let's take Josh in North Carolina on the iHeart app. Hey, Josh. Hey, Buck Shields. high. how are you? Shields, high, man. Thank you for calling.
0: Hey, uh, I wanted to touch on the uh the bump stock the second amendment thing but if we have time i would like to address the uh gerrymandering but um when you consider the second amendment and and you're talking about the bump stock or the echo trigger or these add-ons to to common weaponry uh, i feel like it's a slippery slope to 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 give that away to the those who want to disarm us when when you look back and realize that where did George Washington get his cannon from, where did where did the revolutionaries in the Revolutionary War get their people ask? Well, should uh, should your neighbor be able to have a RPG? Well, most of us would say no. But if we look back into history and realize that you know, before we were a nation, we had private ownership of artillery. So I just want to pick your brain on that.
3: Well, I mean, the, the D.C. v. Heller case, which is the last time the Supreme Court uh, looked at the issue of the right to bear arms there, the, the one place where Scalia and the majority left open uh, room for regulation is is essentially what I was talking about, about a headsman's axe or artillery pieces, which had to do with common usage. And, you know, I th- I think that that's the, the standard. And that's not a perfect standard, but that's the one that. Has been in existence for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that somebody needs to have like a you know a stinger missile launcher or something. That does seem to be a little, a little extreme. I mean, the, the purpose. I understand that,
0: Buck, but think about. No, think about I know you understand that. War, but if we didn't have that ability, if we didn't have that capability, then where would we be?
3: Are we talking about back in the what the revolution, the civil war? What are you talking about?
0: Sure. So I'm talking about we're talking about we're talking about cannon. And in, in, in my thought experiment here, we're talking about cannon.
3: Um, well, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, I actually don't, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know what the regulations are for having a, like an old school cannon with like black powder. I don't, I don't even know. I'm assuming.
0: Right. But, but put yourself back, uh, 200 years ago. Like, could I, could I, I have a, could I have
3: like an have eight, eight pounder? Like if I was, about. if, you know, I'm thinking about like the golden age of piracy now, you know, they're like, I've got 38 pounders on me ship. Like, could I have an eight pounder?
0: Uh, privateers. You know the privateers
3: you know, I mean today though I don't know, I'm just saying I actually don't I've you never know, even thought know, of this before, a, like could I have a, a cannon? A,
0: it's a testy situation, it's a testy situation, but I just want I just wanted to throw that out there because there was a time in American history where private ownership of pretty
3: substantial
0: field pieces was was not unheard of.
3: Yeah, but I, I get. I, I'm assuming that the the response to that went well, Look, I don't. I'd have to look back into, uh, you know, the, the the kinds of weapons. There there have always been restrictions in different places about, you know, can you carry here? Can you carry there? What you know, what what you can bring into a federal building or state building? And right there's that's been going on for a very long time. Um, I I don't. Actually, I'd have to look into the artillery pieces thing. My assumption is that it's very large, very heavy, very expensive, and so. If people had them, it would be very un, it would have been very unusual. But you're telling me they had there was private ownership of artillery pieces. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm I, Josh. I'm going to have to say that this is a a part of history that I'd have to look into to give you a better answer on. I can hey, just tell you, you what, the says, what the law says. What the law says now. I, I don't know what you know. Back in 1800, if people were having parties where they could roll up with their own cannon, that's news to me. But maybe.
0: Do you have time to talk about germinating for just one second?
3: Josh, for you, more than one second. Go right ahead.
0: All right. Uh, I live in North Carolina where the Democrats uh, were in control since um, Reconstruction up until probably five years ago. It was 100 years of Democrat Democrat control, and they were in charge. as, As you know, every time the census comes out, you get to redraw the lines. Uh, the voting districts and all that and that was never a problem but as soon as in 2010 the republican took control of the uh the general assembly and it happened to be 2010 you could redraw the lines because that was a census and then that became a problem all of a sudden gerrymandering becomes a problem when republicans get to do it and i just i call bollocks on that
8: I, I, well, I,
3: I agree with you because I'm sure there's a tremendous amount of hypocrisy in a lot of different states where Democrat. Ger, we're only talking about gerrymandering now because Democrats have been having such a, a tough time, particularly at the state level in elections. But uh, Josh Shields High, okay. thank you so much, man. I do appreciate the call. Yeah, I, I got to look into this private ownership of field artillery pieces. I mean, maybe, I guess, right? I mean, that makes. But I just feel like that's it was probably pretty. I mean, guys making you know the cannon foundry. You know, one day they're making. Uh, they're engaged in metallurgy for other purposes, but I suppose if you could make the. Now we've reached the, the limits of my of my verbal ability to describe. I don't know, whatever you're make, what are you making. What do you make in a foundry that's not a cannon back in the day? I mean, metal stuff, right? Whatever they're. I don't know. Uh, well, what were the. Th- whatever. I'm going to have to look it up. Sorry. I don't, we've, we've reached the limit of my knowledge on the subject. Um, Felix, Pennsylvania. Uh, Felix, we got about a minute, but I want to get you in before the break. So go ahead, sir.
1: Yeah, hey, Buck, I actually wanted to talk about um, boycotting. I think that you guys are a little bit wrong on not wanting to boycott, you know, uh, the media and their sponsors, because look at how efficiently the left gets this message out there. And all these stars, you know, they have, uh, they they, they get to view, whatever it is, you know, their point of view. And you can even see a little bit, you know, with the NFL right now, how boycotting could be effective, and maybe we could help to turn around the direction this country's going in.
3: Well, a boycott is a little different than just people deciding on their own not to watch something or support something, right? A boycott is, is an organized movement to put extreme economic oh, pressure in, at one point in time. Um, Felix, I'm going to say we've uh, – I, I, I let, sorry, I'm on a radio show. I should try to speak in complete senses. I'm going to think about this one. I'll touch on it on the other side of the break. I hear what you're saying, but we're running to a break now. Let me talk about it when we come back. Freedom Hunt, we often do a little research on the fly because I talk about things. And I'm like, wait, I need to know more about that. First of all, Ty uh, caught me up with the restriction on automatic weapons is 1986. Yes, like I said, 87. I was a year off. It's 1986. Uh, if you're a manufacturer of an automatic weapon before then, it's a different, different rules than if it's uh, manufactured after then for the sale of it. But then then we had this caller who's talking to me about artillery pieces and private ownership of artillery pieces. And I'm like, you know, I hadn't even really thought about this. You know, can, can you have a cannon? And here, here's the answer. The answer is kind of like yes and no. Are um, muzzle-loading fire—it's from the ATF website. Are muzzle-loading cannons classified as destructive devices? And here's what the ATF says. Generally, no. Muzzle loading cannons not capable of firing fixed ammunition and manufactured in or before 1898 and replicas thereof are antiques and not subject to the provisions of either the Gun Control Act or the National Firearms Act. So uh, Tyrone and I were discussing how if if we wanted to uh, put on some tricorner hats and go to a a foundry and make ourselves and engage in some metallurgy. And build ourselves a big cannon. We can build a bunch of them, as long as you're loading in uh, a cylindrical ball. that's a muzzle loader, uh, and you're using black powder. You know, we could just go out there and we could rock out with some with some pe- some cannon. So, you know, I, could, I we could do that if we wanted to. I who knew, who knew? We were, so now we know what we're doing for Fourth of July this year. That's exciting. Um, we're going to build build some cannon. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Uh, but then. Oh, that would be kind of fun. Cannon shells. That's where you run into a problem here. So if if you have a shell that is an explosive, well, now you're dealing with explosives. So now you do have problems. cannon shells are classed as destructive devices under the Firearms Act of 1934. They must be registered with uh, BATFE, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, Explosives. uh, And they're uh, they're prohibited from being owned by civilians in certain states. So. If you have exploding shell, which uh, became much more prominent during the Napoleonic Wars, for example. Before then, it was just hard uh, uh, shot. And then I think it was right around the era of the Napoleonic Wars, you started to have more exploding cannonballs. And then you get into the the, the era of uh, great ships. And uh, you have... I'm a big Master and Commander fan. I think it's a really excellent movie. You have the different kinds of ammunition that would be fired different kinds of shot i should say fired out of a cannon taking down the rigging taking down personnel grape shot for personnel all that stuff good times good times so yeah you you can own a cannon if it's a if it doesn't have explosive uh or if it's not firing explosive ordnance, if it's just firing solid shot now unless you're trying to batter down the walls of a of a fort somewhere i don't know what you'd really be doing with solid shot in a cannon but i'm sure someone listening is like buck i have a lot of fun with my cannon so okay but now at least i know the law so you are technically allowed to have that but you cannot have explosives um so i think we've kind of answered a little bit more of what we were discussing before and now we've got something (laughs) and now for something completely unrelated i'm bouncing around today uh next hour as i said we'll talk about the Iran deal not being recertified by the by the Trump administration—that's a big news item from earlier today. And also, uh, we'll have some Team Buck speaks, which is always fun. Later on the show, I'll read off some of your messages on Facebook. And uh, what was? Oh yes, the uh, ambush that took the lives of three of our uh, U.S. Army personnel in Niger, the West African state of Niger. um I'll tell you what's going on there. And We'll get into some of the details about the counterterrorism fight in Niger, uh, but for right now, uh, I, I have to tell you, I'm going to play this for you. I haven't even heard this yet, but Tyrone is like, I think you should play this clip because it's it's so. I, I don't even I don't even really know what it is. I just read read a one line description. He says it is a, a vomit inducing. I think, and and Amy looks like she's given the nod, which means that it must be pretty. Must be pretty rough uh what we're gonna play here this is from the uh what the tonight the yeah the tonight show which i think used to be a comedy show and now it's like a political show uh which tyrone should we go with the clip six or clip seven first okay we're gonna go to i haven't even i'm in real time reacting to this uh friends and family i have not yet heard these clips but tyrone says i I gotta hear them so we're gonna listen in together to what happened on The Tonight Show last night. Play clip six, please.
8: Thank you, Hillary Clinton, for being the first female presidential candidate nominated by a major party, and also the first female senator of New York, and also the first First Lady to transcend First Ladyhood to become Secretary of State. I guess what I'm trying to say is thank you, Hillary Clinton, for being the Hillary Clinton of
7: American politics. Thank you, Hillary Clinton, for handling this difficult transition with more grace than I ever could have imagined. Oh that being said, call me day or night, and I will be there with a gallon of ice cream and two spoons to tell you, girl, you are so much better than him.
8: Uh, thank you, Hillary, uh, for all the work you've done for public health care.
7: <laughs> ever since the election, I've really uh, depended on my government-subsidized anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> thank you, Hillary, for all Enough, enough! Can't
3: and take it, criticize it. You for Oh, Hillary. Like oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. So they just did this? They just had the writing staff for The Tonight Show read off? Like, they weren't trying to be funny, really. They were just, thank you, Hillary stuff? What? What is the world coming to, everybody? What happened was they read all these letters. I mean, this is... This is seven is no. Worse? As bad? Oh, gosh. All right, let it rip, Ty. Let's hear it.
7: Thank you, thank you, Hillary,
5: for being a constant beacon of strength.
3: Come on, that's Miley Cyrus crying at this point. I mean, Hillary lost the election like almost a year ago. Now she's crying because Hillary's such a great role model for her. This is on a comedy show. Uh, th- this is like a, some kind of disorder. These women are just like, oh my gosh, Hillary is just like. Thank you, Hillary, for keeping me safe and warm at night when I just was so sad and Hillary was there. I'm going to be like, Hillary does not care about any of you. Hillary would sell you all out if the price was right, and the price would not be very high, let me tell you. Wow. I I did not hear those clips until we just played them on air, and this is this is uh, to tie together what I was talking to you about yesterday. It is a specifically Democrat trait, I think, to be so emotionally, not just invested. I people get invested in candidates. People are very invested in, in Trump and his presidency. But to, to be emotionally invested in a way that you almost co-identify with this, uh, with, a, with a politician, right? That Hillary is like a, uh, Hillary's like a part of these women in some way. You know, Hillary is such a major role in their life. How? I mean, what are they? They following her every her every uh, pronouncement as a incredibly mediocre to subpar Secretary of State. What happened with that was? I mean, I don't understand where this really comes from. But wow, a lot of a lot of uh, emotional stuff there from Jim. That is, I don't even. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm almost at a loss for words. I mean, these are adults who are going on TV to. Praise I mean it's North Korea like. This is like praise the dear leader kind of stuff. Like, thank you so much for like giving me the strength that I needed to like just get through all of the tough times. And look, you know what? I think that people are entitled to have their heroes and that's all well and good. But this is this is the effect of propaganda. I mean, none of these women have some deep personal connection to Hillary Clinton, right? I mean this is the way they feel because they've been fed a steady stream of she's breaking the ultimate glass ceiling and you know this is as a woman you have to your your politics your positions on policy if you're a democrat and a woman have to be first and foremost about gender that's what this is but wow Miley Cyrus I didn't know that Miley Cyrus knew enough about Hillary Clinton to even pretend to care about Hillary Clinton but here we are and you know what else this is though too and I'm sure some of you some of my more cynical friends out there listening are like, you know what, Buck, we can make fun of it all day. But for Miley Cyrus and for all those writers, this is a job security measure. You you pray before Hillary, the dear leader of the Democrat Party, and it does nothing. I mean, and I know you're like, Buck, they don't pray. but You know what I'm saying? Uh, you stand there and praise her and tear up at everything. It's uh, you're now on the good side of the Democrats. You know, that they, they, they like you. They're they're going to say, oh, OK. You know, you'll, you'll get that next job. You'll get that opening somewhere else in media. This is how the game is played, everybody. That's why a lot of this virtue signaling is not just about virtue. It's also about signaling to other people in positions of power and authority when you're a leftist, when you're a Democrat, that you want to be able to uh, you know, also be invited to the party, so to speak. You know, You want to be able to benefit from your leftism professionally and personally. But, man,
0: I just want to thank Hillary Clinton,
3: who's just, like, I mean, she's, like, a terrible politician, and she's, like, really corrupt. And, like, she, you know, just elevated herself based on, like, marrying a disgusting, philandering, lying piece of scum. But, like, I just think she's amazing, and I just, (laughs) my gosh. I promise you I will never come on the show and be like, guys, I'm like, I just, like, well, why, I mean, Ted Cruz should have been president. Like I just am so I just the Constitution and Ted Cruz. And even though I think you can make a you know you make a case that if it's between Hillary and Ted Cruz, maybe you should cry. If Hillary wins, but nonetheless, all right, we're gonna run to a break. I'll be right back. Stay with me. So, big story from the New York Times today, and I wonder why they decided to go with this now. These decisions are not made in a vacuum. There's always some reason for it i'm sure they were working on it for a long time why do they hold the, why do they hold it until now and also why do they decide to go with it now i don't have answers i'm just putting out there the questions that i am keeping in the back of my mind as i see this so you have because this is somebody who's a a democrat with tremendous connections a ton of money and a ton of power so why would the times go after him I'm not sure But decades of sexual harassment accusations against Harvey Weinstein. This is the headline in the New York Times. And for those of you who are like, I don't know who Harvey Weinstein is and I don't care. um, Well, I'll deal with both of those quickly here. One is uh, he's, I think, considered the most powerful producer in Hollywood. So this is a person who. More than probably any other individual in Hollywood, which is a multi-billion-dollar industry with a tremendous amount of influence all over the world, including here at home. The guy who had more power than anyone else to either get things made or kill projects. Right. Nope, that's not going to get done. Uh, according to New York Times here is just a serial sexual harasser of the worst kind. And, and you know, not one of the problems when you discuss sexual harassment is that there's such a wide breadth of what can be considered harassment, right? If you go, if you're walking around the Wellesley campus, you know, you, and you're a guy, you better like look at your feet and not make eye contact because like, what do you think? These women are pieces of meat, sir. You know, you gotta be very careful. Um, But then there's also the sexual harassment that they're talking about here, which is real sexual harassment, which is, Hey, um, you know, I'm, uh, I-, I can give you this job, but you're going to have to perform a sexual favor for me. And just a straight up quid pro quo, and that's what they're talking. I mean, they're they've got big Hollywood names here. Ashley Judd is named in this piece, the actress. I mean, they have got others in here too. Who? This was the old I mean, it, it, the worst the casting couch. This is the classic casting couch stuff. This is you know, hey, uh, hey, you know, honey, I'll I'll take care of you if you take care of me. And another part of this is. If you don't, if you're the woman that is propositioned in this way, maybe your career is over. Never never mind, you're not going to get ahead if you don't do it. Maybe you're done. Because of the power that this individual wields, you know, the whole you'll never work in this town again, these are some of the clichés. With Harvey Weinstein, that's a real thing. He decides you're not going to get a big movie uh, role, you're you're done. And for decades this guy was running around doing this stuff and and people kind of knew about it but no one said anything because he was really he was really powerful and connected. Um, I wonder why it is at the time. Maybe they just finally realized it was too good of a story to sit on. Uh, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, because I they've been the media has been covering for this guy. This has been rumored and they even say this, this has been rumored for a long time. This is not a a big surprise. Um, I wonder why they decided to go. And he's now got the whole, oh, I'm going to go get help, and I'm going to step aside. So there's no, he's not like they're all liars. He's like, yeah, I mean, I used to do some bad stuff. Maybe I'm going to go to therapy for a while now. He's pulling one of those. Uh, so I think I've dealt with the, on, on the who he is, yes, and then why you should care. Um, well, a couple of a couple of reasons, I think. One is just, just an interesting story, yet another instance of somebody who's a, a Democrat close to the Clintons, Close to I mean, close to the Obama's. This guy is as connected as you can be. And, I, you know, he's got all these people at, at these different uh, media outlets that are oh, you know, they would never cross and they do. They do whatever he said they would do his bidding. And I'm sure that the word was out for a long time to many of them. That this is this is the kind of stuff he did. Do you think that they remember we're talking about decades now, straight up decades of this kind of behavior serial sexual harassment and, 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 and abusing his role as an employer and as somebody with real clout, right? This isn't, oh, you know, we work at the same company and I decided to ask out, you know, Betty for lunch and she said no and then I, like, asked her again and then finally I stopped, right? I mean, you know, there's, like, workplace stuff. No, no, no. This is do what I want, demean yourself or you're not going to get a job, you're never going to work again. Here's why this struck me in particular today. Because those of you who follow what's been going on on the in the news media business, there's been a lot of high-profile cases recently of uh, sexual harassment. And you have Harvey Weinstein, who is an incredibly powerful and connected Democrat, who is finally, finally now people are are coming out and talking about well, the kind of behavior that he engaged in. I just wanted to say this now, and at a later point I'll probably be able to because you got you know this is the stuff you got to be careful with. One, you have to be 100 percent accurate, and two, you want to, um, you've you got to be legally careful with you. Know, this is why you can't. You know, if you're going to name names, you better. I'm gonna name names. I'm gonna, I'm gonna name. And that's that's Alex Jones said that when he named me once as a CIA analyst a long time ago when I was like out and everyone knew that I was an analyst. It's very funny if you've never seen the clip. I'm gonna do. You, do you want me to name names? I'm gonna name names. But if, if you're going to name names, you better be darn sure. And he was actually because it was on Wikipedia. Uh, But the uh, what what I'm telling you about Harvey Weinstein is that everyone's like, oh, gosh, he's like the most powerful producer and a huge Democrat, most powerful producer in Hollywood. He was such a maniac sexual harasser. You know, who could have known in the news media business? A lot of the stuff that Harvey Weinstein is being accused of and happens. I can tell you it happens in the news media business, too. I know it does. I've heard stories firsthand from people, and it's happened at some of the institutions and news media that you haven't heard of yet in this context. Democrat leaning left wing media organizations, and it's getting covered up. And I just wonder when that dam is going to break and people are going to find out that some of the big, oh gosh, how could this happen at this other place? It's happening all over the place.
4: You are now entering the Freedom Hot Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. They're clear. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck brief.
3: Three elite U.S. troops were killed in action yesterday in the African country of Niger. Uh, they were Part of a training mission. Uh, The Pentagon has not confirmed all of this yet, but this is what's being reported in the Washington Post and elsewhere. They were part of a training mission and a counterterrorism mission in Niger and it's believed that they are uh, members of the elite U.S. Army Special Forces. Uh, These were Green Berets. They were lured into an ambush and attacked. Uh, Three were killed. I believe two were wounded, according to the Washington Post here. Uh, This is a reminder of many things. First of all, we have soldiers, uh, we have Americans in uniform in harm's way in places that we often don't think of. And in many cases, we don't even know about their presence there in Niger. Their presence is known, uh, but there are other places where it's not even reported and there are risks being taken and we can lose uh, soldiers. We can have soldiers killed in action in countries that are not Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. So this is a reminder of that. And as we discuss national security and policy issues that affect it, we should always remember that just because we, just because soldiers aren't in a, aren't in what is a declared war zone, it does not mean by any stretch they are not taking risks. Uh, and that's in addition to the burdens and the sacrifices of being separated from family and, and from, from serving, uh, serving abroad. So, uh, I wanted to take a little bit of time to go over what's happening in Niger. Um, This is an area of the world that actually I know uh, pretty well, and one day perhaps I'll be able to get into, although maybe we'll see, get into why that is. Uh, I can say right now, or just give you some of the background on this uh, Niger is a country of about 20 million people in total, incredibly poor, and uh, the GDP per capita is about a thousand dollars a year per uh, per Nigerien, um, and Niger is Francophone Africa. Unlike Nigeria, which was an English uh, English colony and an English uh, its English speaking, and and that's the main language in in Niger. It is French, so uh, we have a presence there, and we're engaged in counterterrorism operations there because of the presence of two groups uh, al-qaeda in the islamic maghreb which operates in the the desert regions uh, primarily of mali and it's actually overrun parts of mali in the past and it also is in niger but the uh, main threat right now in niger from a counterterrorism perspective is uh, boko haram boko haram you will recall was a a terrorist group that was getting some headlines for a while because it uh, seized a couple of hundred young girls uh, for the purposes of keeping them in in slavery. Uh, It seized these young girls out of a village as well as engaged in a lot of mass casualty terrorist attacks. And Boko Haram, if it wasn't for the Islamic State, would have been for a number of years there the single deadliest terrorist entity in the world. Um, The name roughly translates Boko Haram to, you know, Western education is forbidden, but I'm told that's not even really a particularly good translation of it. Uh, They are uh, based out of Nigeria, but because of Nigerian uh, military campaigns against them, they've been pushed out and across the border into neighboring Niger and uh, into Uh, Chad and, you know, we're working with the uh, Chadian uh, Chadian government as well on the counterterrorism issues. And, you know, this is a a part of the world that is just off the radar and forgotten. But when you start to think about the prospect of a terrorist group that can operate relatively freely in this region, because it's vast, I mean, the the distances you're talking about here when you're looking at at, uh, Mali and Niger and, I mean, Nigeria is one of the most populous countries in the world. Uh, I mean, it's not in the top 10, but you're talking about 140 million people. Certainly the most populous country in uh, in Africa. So, I mean, Nigeria has a, a huge population and it's split between now Niger is next door and different, much more sparsely populated, largely desert um, but the split what happens in Nigeria affects very directly what happens in niger and, and the the conflict in niger the conflicts with different terrorist groups uh, are affected very much by uh, Nigeria next door so I mean Nigeria is split uh, Niger is just to the north of Nigeria, and Mali is to the west of Niger, um, but Nigeria is split between Muslim and Christian and the clashes. That 50 ha- almost fifty-fifty, by the way, and, and the clashes that have been happening there for a long time are uh, are really brutal. I mean, you have ten-year-old suicide bombers being deployed by jihadists in ten-year-old suicide bomber girls deployed by jihadists, in, and even younger, I think, actually. Uh, so there's a spillover effect when you're when the security forces in Nigeria become uh, strong enough and are capable enough, they'll push. They they have been pushing Boko Haram out, but Boko Haram gets it, it, it's it, they squirt if you will that's the term when people you know get away from the uh, objective i mean they they get pushed over into nearby niger uh, and that's why we have a counterterrorism concern there. that's why we are trying to work with the nigerian government and we just lost a few uh, reportedly r- special forces but we lost three u.s soldiers in, in Niger. So all these counterterrorism missions, whether we're talking about the, the Philippines or sub-Saharan Africa or all these places all over the world where we have our people carrying arms and in uniform uh, or just carrying arms for their country, uh, they're taking risks. And when we talk about where we should be partnering and where we should have a presence, anytime you've got people on the ground who represent the United States government, uh, whether openly or, or not openly, there is the possibility they could be targeted and hit like this. So that is uh, the update I just want to give you on that on Niger. And if if there's more, if we figure out who the perpetrator was specifically, which terrorist group they come from, AQIM or Boko Haram, I'll come back to the uh, subject.
5: The president has, as he said, made a decision on this, and he'll make that announcement at the appropriate time. Uh, the, the main focus that he has had has been a comprehensive strategy on how to deal with Iran. Uh, that is what he wanted his team to put in place. And I think you will see uh, that announced uh, in short order. And that will be a comprehensive strategy with a unified uh, team behind him supporting that effort.
3: That was at the press conference in the West Wing earlier today with Sarah Sanders talking about the Iran deal. But within a few hours, this story broke on The Hill, on CNN. Here's how The Hill writes about it. President Trump plans to decertify the Iran nuclear deal next week and announce that it is not in the United States national interest. It's actually a Washington Post report that everybody else has picked up. Such an announcement would leave the next move up to Congress, which would have 60 days to use a fast-track process to reimpose sanctions and deliver a potentially fatal blow to the deal, which Tehran agreed to in 2015 with the U.S. and five other nations. What does this mean? Is it a good thing? Is it the right move? We've got somebody with deep deep expertise on the matter joining us now. We have Dr. Jonathan Shanzer. He is a senior vice president at the Foundation for Defense of democracies. Uh, Great to have you back, Dr. Shanzer. Thank you, Buck. Um, So please, uh, Jonathan, tell us what what do you think about this? Um, uh, You know, why is this a good or a bad thing if assuming the report is right and Trump decertifies?
4: Well, we've been hearing about this strategy for for some time. uh, As as I think we heard, uh, the president has been thinking about Uh, how to try to revise the deal, not necessarily trash it or tear it up, as he had talked about perhaps on the campaign trail, but really looking for kind of a middle ground. And so what it appears that he is going to do is he's going to decertify the deal. That means that uh, pursuant to the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act of 2015, uh... there is this uh... a rolling uh... opportunity for the president to certify or decertify uh... and and what that means is the president is going to say that the deal is not in the interest of the united states and of course it's not because we know that iran is uh... involved in terrorism we know that iran has benefited from the deal we know that iran has been cheating on the margins of the deal and it continues to to develop nuclear technology. So what's going to happen is is the president is going to kick this to Congress. And Congress will have 60 days to make a determination of what happens next, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we reimpose sanctions on Iran uh, because that would be the end of the nuclear deal. In other words, if we reimpose those nuclear sanctions, all bets are off. The whole thing that Obama put together in 2015 would crumble. What could happen, what we think may happen, is the the president says he's going to decertify. Congress doesn't reimpose those sanctions, but rather calls upon the other members of the international community from the P5 plus one to go back and try to improve upon all of those things, which you and I have talked about multiple times on your show, where Iran is getting a lot of benefit and it really isn't helping us in the long term because Iran will be able to go nuclear in roughly a decade and, it, of course, continues to sponsor terrorism and engage in a whole host of other bad behavior. So, so,
1: so it
3: would be a a, rene- a renegotiation. Is that is that an accurate way to describe what the process could be or how this is likely to play out? It's not that the deal will be done, we slap on all the sanctions and that's it it would be essentially a a, a new deal based on the framework of the old deal, or no?
4: Well, I think it, it gives the Iranians an opportunity to fix the deal. It gives the Europeans, the Chinese, the Russians an opportunity to fix what is a very flawed deal. It doesn't mean that we're going to be able to fix it, but what it does do is it throws this now into the court of everyone else. In other words, the US says, no, this is not working. We don't want to continue this as it's currently constructed. Give us something better. Now, that could eventually lead to the Iranians pulling out of the deal. It could lead to Congress saying, no, you know what, we're just going to slap sanctions on Iran again and forget about it. But what it will do is it will at least give everybody 60 days to think about how we can step back from the brink, how we can make sure that we don't lose the deal entirely, still get some of the benefits of this, which is you know, keeping us out of conflict for some time, but not give Iranians that paved pathway to a nuclear weapon, which is really what we're giving them right now. And that's that that really shouldn't have happened in the first
3: place. Now, Jonathan, you go, and we're speaking to Jonathan Shanzer, who's from uh, FDD, the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Uh, Jonathan, you're, you're a, a D.C. guy. You go to all these think tank meetings. Uh, if we had... A fellow, and I would never like this because I don't like when radio people are talking over each other, and radio usually doesn't, especially with three people, it's not a good debate or discussion. Uh, But if I pick, and you probably have a bunch of names in your head, if I pick somebody from Brookings or even a a more uh, more left-leading think tank on this issue, if, if I found you a former Obama administration official, who was going to defend the deal as it is. Could you just tell us what what would be their—how do they defend it, and then how do do you approach the rejoinder to that? What's your response?
4: Sure. I mean, look, the the way that this is always described is is that it it put us off of uh, that war footing with Iran, that we were really on a collision course with the Iranians. They were, you know, months away from developing a nuclear weapon— we, imp- we, you know, we, we came up with this deal, we, we paid them a lot of money, but in the end they decided that they were going to abide by the deal, and they for the most part have, although I can explain the serious ways in which they have not abided by the deal, uh, but they're not going nuclear at this moment, and that was really, I think, the ultimate goal. The problem with that, and we've talked about this on the show before as well, is that in, in just a few years' time, you're going to have the end of the arms embargo on Iran, which means that they can buy and sell weapons across the Middle East and continue to destabilize the region. You're going to have, in about six years' time, the end of the ballistic missile ban, which means that Iran's going to be able to really uh, work on that delivery system for a nuclear weapon, which is remarkable that this was even included as part of the deal. And then in roughly like, 11 or 12 years, you're going to have the complete sunsetting of the deal, which means that Iran will have that, uh, as I said, that paved pathway to uh, an industrial-sized nuclear program and a nuclear weapon. So the, the problem here is that the deal itself, yeah, I think it, it postponed conflict for some time between us and Iran, uh, but it, it gave them a guarantee if they were just patient for 10 or 12 years to be able to develop that nuclear weapon. In the meantime, we've also given the Iranians 100 $150 billion uh, in sanctions relief, which they have now turned around and started to provide uh, to or continue to provide to Hezbollah, for example, which is now the number one actor in uh, Syria fighting on behalf of the Assad regime. They are creating a uh, sort of a land bridge, as we're calling it, kind of a crescent stretching all the way from Iran through Iraq, through Syria, all the way to Israel's doorstep. There is a massive war coming if we don't do something about that. So, Jonathan, can I I
3: ask you a question? One thing I want to know is, so you said the the 10 to 12 year sunset, the architects of this deal, the Obama administration, Secretary of State John Kerry and whoever else was involved in negotiations here, what is their, I I keep, I keep, John, John, how would people argue this with you? But I think it's important because, you know, you, you watch CNN, the deal is brilliant. You watch Fox, people are like, well, this is a terrible deal. I think it's a terrible deal, but I want everyone to know. You know, not just what each side is saying, but why each side is either right or wrong on this one in 10 or 12 years. What do the What would John Kerry? What what do their uh, what do the folks that support this deal say would happen in 10 years? What was what was their plan?
4: They have. I mean, they. they Was there Iran no plan?
3: Did? Which is my guess,
4: but right. They don't have much of a plan. What What they're basically saying is that uh, Iran has a mo- uh, so-called moderate president. Hassan Rouhani is the president of Iran right now, and they're saying that he represents possibly the future of the leadership in Iran. This, of course, is I, I think fanciful thinking, perhaps just flat out false, because what you have is a supreme leader of Iran who is an extreme hardliner, and you have the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards, that really control Iran, uh, and and these are the hardliners. So the whole moderation argument, I think, falls flat and is really just, it's about projection, what they hope would come from this. The other thing that they might say, uh, and, and some have said, is that eventually Iran becomes a a full-fledged member of the international community and they're hooked on american and international cash they want to take part in our you know in the global economy and so it really makes no sense for them in the long run to be involved in all of this malign behavior
3: this is what i thought but i was like they must they must have something better than this but it turns out they don't which is that iran won't be iran in eight or ten years or whatever it is but all right so jonathan with now we've established that uh and I, i know we've taken up a bunch of your time let me ask you what would a A renegotiated deal that you would say, okay, this is actually a good Iran deal, assuming that they they, they now the the Trump administration decertifies, goes to Congress and they bring together the what is the P5 plus one? Right. The uh, the, the, they bring them together and everyone's on the same sheet of music. The Trump administration is going to get this done. What is different? What does the new good deal with Iran look like?
4: Okay, I'm not sure you're ever going to get a good deal with this regime, because this regime is the problem. And, and that's where I might disagree with those who are still somewhat optimistic that you can get something, uh, you can salvage this. I'm still somewhat of a pessimist, but I do think that there are certain things that you could push for. Number one, that you don't have these sunsets in, in 12 years that allow Iran to go nuclear. the the sunsets are really the fatal flaw of the joint comprehensive plan of action of the nuclear deal that it gives them this paved pathway that is the worst part of this deal and it, it cannot it cannot continue it will lead us to a conflict just at a later date with a stronger, wealthier Iran. And that's my biggest problem with the nuclear deal. Uh, but then there's also the ballistic missile testing, which is provocations, and it obviously puts everybody on tilt. And also, uh, by the way, it makes you wonder, is there a cooperation going on between Iran and North Korea? We've heard quite a lot about that. So ballistic missiles the sunset provisions and then there is the broader question of you know can can or should we be negotiating with iran while it is calling for the destruction of our allies in israel while it is essentially trying to establish hegemony across the entire middle east can we call upon them to halt some of this other activity in exchange for all the benefits that we promised them this is a tall order but i think it's better that we try to address these issues now then kick the can down the road for a decade and then find that iran is too strong has a nuclear program in place and is now flush with cash that we've provided them
3: jonathan shanzer of the foundation for defense of democracies everyone jonathan always great to have you man thank you anytime team hitting a break we'll do team buck speaks on the flip side stay with me all right buck back with you now team thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me here in the hut it is time for our Thursday edition of Team Buck Speaks. So let's kick it off with Dana, uh, who writes in the following. Hey, Buck, you were talking yesterday about personality types and political affiliation. I'm very interested in Myers-Briggs personality typing and thought it would be an interesting thing to discuss on your show. MBTI types and correlation to political party. Just a thought. Love the show. As always, enjoy the day. Well, thank you, Dana for writing in. Let me start by saying that I am fascinated by the medical field and by psychiatry in particular, but one of the problems that I run into as a conservative is that psychiatry is dominated by not just Democrats, but leftists. Uh, it is the most left-wing of the medical profession. As I think I've said to you before, surgeons, particularly heart surgeons and orthopedic surgeons, tend to be conservative in fact a majority of them by political affiliation across the country are republicans so i think that makes sense right surgeons have to have a lot of let's be honest a lot of bravado there has there's a there's an ego involved in it it's hyper competitive friends of mine who are in med school are like the the, the surgeons the heart surgeons and neurosurgeons you know they, they have to think they are the best all the way through and because they literally have life in their hands, right? And it's fiercely competitive in top programs to get into. Uh, psychiatry, I, I, can't even, I can't psychoanalyze why psychiatrists tend to be so far left, but sure enough, it is the case. Uh, as to Myers-Briggs, I'll see if I can find any research on that, Dana. Uh, it's certainly an interesting idea. Uh, thank you for that. Alan writes in the following, How does the mayor of San Juan come up with all these professionally printed T-shirts when she claims that even basic necessities are lacking for her constituents? Alan, I I tweeted about this today. I mean, I got to tell you, come on. You got this woman, the mayor of San Juan, who one day is literally tearing up, standing in front of huge aid pallets sent by people from America for mainland America to Puerto Rico, Uh, and saying how people are dying and it's so terrible. And look, I know it is a horrible situation. I'd be incredibly frustrated if I were on Puerto Rico right now and my family or or me uh, was not able to, or or me myself, was not able to get the lights turned on, get food, get medicine. I I get all that. But that should be the entire focus of people who are in positions of authority in Puerto Rico, uh, the government in Puerto Rico, And anything, uh, any grandstanding against Trump just shows a lack of professionalism and a lack of seriousness for for the representatives, I should say, of Puerto Rico. Um, It's just unfair. It's unfair. And I don't think that it's something that uh, we should we should we should excuse easily that this woman has got a shirt on that says, Nasty on it or whatever. It's just yeah, yeah I'm with you, Alan. I'm with you, where she's got time to go get special T-shirts printed for her interviews on MSNBC where she slams Trump. You know, don't don't, don't cry about how people are in such desperate circumstances, but use your precious airtime where you can speak to the whole world. Uh, going after the president of the United States. You know, say thanks to the president. Whatever you think of him, you need the federal government right now if you're the mayor of San Juan. All right, we get Jeffrey writing in with the following. uh, If you have the opportunity to see the extras on the DVD for Hacksaw Ridge, they are so interesting. The one thing most amazing to me was that they left out some of the Desmond Doss heroics from the movie because they did not seem believable. After seeing what he did accomplish, that is an incredible statement. Well, Jeffrey, I'm going to have to get my hands on that DVD and look at the extras and learn more about this this story. Hacksaw Ridge was the was the best movie I have seen in in the best movie I've seen probably in in a few years, I'd say. I mean, that's how good it was. And it was I'm sorry, it was just way better than La La Land. La La Land was fine. And La La Land didn't even win Moonlight won the Oscar, which I know the Oscars who really cares, right? But it's just amazing. It wasn't even close. It was, uh, Hacksaw Ridge is a great, those of you listening, I'm telling you, it's a really powerful, really well done movie. Uh, by the way, if you want to be included in team Buck speaks, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, please do like the page. We post stories throughout the day. They'll give you a little update on what we're going to be talking about on the show. And it's also a way for you to reach out to me and, uh, Tyrone and Amy, the freedom Hunt squad here. So, uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Let's get to another message with Team Buck Speaks. Now, here I've got a member of Team Buck who asked that her uh, name and affiliation not be used. And as I said, all you have to do is specify, and I will respect your wishes, your, your either your privacy or your identity, whatever it may be, uh, but I want to share the story. And so let's change her name to uh, Melinda, and here is what Melinda has to say. Hi Buck, Original Saturday Squad here. I prefer you not mention my actual name or affiliation because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. However, I want to share something with you that stopped me in my tracks. I volunteer as a sorority advisor at a university. Basically, my job is to teach uh, young women how to run an organization, keep them focused on values, and mitigate risk. In this role, I occasionally have contact with university administration i received an email from a woman i had met under her signature was preferred pronouns she her hers now this woman is obviously a woman she's not androgynous i was shocked for two reasons first i never thought that people did this sort of thing in real life second that little line came across as a deeply intimate revelation In a professional relationship, I don't really want to know about any person's struggle or non-struggle with identity. The sad thing is this administrator may not be bowing to the cultural Stasi, but she actually believes she has to share this information. Polite norms allow individuals to interact with strangers in a kind and considerate manner. We have surface relationships designed to accomplish individual and common goals. When intimacy is forced on us, it can get in the way of the relationship. If someone introduces me to a tall person in a dress with an Adam's apple, I'm going to refer to that person as she. If I were to do otherwise, I'd risk making a terrible mistake, similar to asking a woman with a belly when she is due. And heaven help the misguided youngins who choose weird pronouns. This stuff will follow them all until an EMP hits. Yours, Melinda, not her real name. And she also writes, P.S. Can we hear the gates of Vienna again? I'm loving the military history. Also, I'm excited for the Barbary Wars and Charlemagne. Is that worth a look? All right. A few things here, Melinda. First, great suggestion on Charlemagne. Very interesting history there. I want to do Charles Martel uh, as the hammer turning back the Muslim advance into Europe. That's been on my mind for a while. And longtime listeners of the show, Saturday Squad folks, Know that I've been promising a Barbary Wars podcast for a long time. It's just a massive undertaking. And look, the bigger the podcast downloads get, the more time and effort and resources I can spend doing some of those really produced history specials. So, you know, you can vote by telling your friends to download the podcast. And if there's enough of that, well, then there'll be more produced history stuff. But on to your main point, Melinda. Uh, I would say that, yeah, look, I understand this is where we're heading now. People are going to be sharing their, their preferred pronouns. And I, I just, it's, uh, I, I wish we could all just decide to be adult and responsible and, and respectful to each other without these bizarre uh, social conventions that are getting changed all the time. And, and also, I don't like being a party to someone's delusion and being forced to say things that are not true. That's where I want to be polite all the time, but I also don't like to be forced to say things that are false. So this is very difficult for me. The whole transgender versus politeness issue is is a real one for me. But thank you very much for writing in uh, Melinda. Again, not real name. Paul writes in the following, Love the history deep dives. How about how close World War II really was? U-boats, Battle of Britain, Patent's Breakout, No U.S. Navy, Invasion of Sicily, and Deception Thereafter. Well, Paul, that sounds phenomenal, but that sounds like an entire series, perhaps an entire show. So maybe I'll look at those recommendations and see if I can pull out one or two for a specific deep dive later. But I will put uh, I will put one on the list for sure. Thank you for writing in. And we've got Michael, who uh, always makes sure that he keeps me in check and that no mistakes go uh, unnoticed on air. Michael is a longtime Freedom Hut listener. He writes in the following, uh, just listen to the sheriff again, and he said something of significance. Reporter asked if they knew something about, uh, knew, knew about something that happened to Paddock in October 2016. Didn't say what. Sheriff's eyes lit up, and he said they knew about it and were looking into it. Again, didn't say what, but you could tell he thought it might be important. There's got to be something, Michael, and I I wish I could give more than just the vague. I'm with you that there's something going on here, but I don't have an answer. But your your point here, I'll go back and look. I'll go back and look at that press conference and see if I pick up what you were able to pick up. But thank you very much for writing in. We have another one here from Matthew. He writes, thanks for being so honest and fair on the gun rights aspect of the news this week. Thanks for mentioning Shanine Allen's case when talking about current gun laws here is her t- uh, telling the tale of what happened the speech was given last saturday afternoon i'll have to check this out um thank you very much matthew for writing in and yeah the people who get arrested for an honest mistake when it comes to guns it's just terrible and i'll be honest with you if i were the law enforcement officer i i'd find a way to like be like look we're going to take your you know we're going to hold your firearm at the station or something but we're going to let you go. I don't know. I'd find some way. I know you can't really do that, but I I just couldn't arrest somebody for an honest mistake like that. I just couldn't uh, as a Second Amendment defender. All right, team, I am going to come back here with some closing thoughts in just a few. Stay with me. Welcome back, team. I had kind of a funny exchange last night that I think uh, many of you can, many of the the men listening can sympathize with. So I was uh, on the couch and Molly was on the couch and Maybe the real housewives was playing because that's what Molly likes. I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't really paying attention. I saw a little bit of it, but you know, I was doing other things. I was on my phone and Molly uh, got up and she walked past me. She said, What's on your phone? And I was like, Nothing. And she's like, No, what is on your phone? And I was like, Ah. She took the phone out of my hands and she goes, I know what this is. You're planning to just braise meat all weekend while I'm gone, aren't you? <laughs> sure enough, she caught me, and man, I had all these recipes up on my phone for the slow cooker. That were it was just the the more red meat, the more decadent and the fattier. I'm talking braised short ribs, pulled pork with that's right, pulled pork made. With uh, root beer, oh yeah! I mean, I just had it all. She's like, I know what you're planning. As soon as I'm out of here, you're just gonna be cooking all this red meat and making a huge mess in the kitchen and not eating healthy. And yes, yes, guilt, guilty, guilty as charged, Miss Molly. That is, in fact, the plan. <laughs> That's how exciting my life is. I was literally sitting there, and it's like she caught me because we, you know, recently I've been trying to eat a little healthier. You know, trying to wait until I'm at least a dad before I embrace the whole dad bod situation fully, which I'm looking forward to that day. oh man, I've already got the sweatpants picked out, my friends. I am good to go but yeah she she called because recently we've been making uh we we made like Japanese yams and uh white chicken or or white bean chicken stew. I can't even remember what it was it was delicious, but it was very it was very healthy and lots of good macros, and as soon as she leaves, first of all, she keeps she keeps the kitchen. You could perform open-heart surgery in my kitchen when Molly's around, and it would be fine. Uh, I'm a little more of the chef that's like, there's a mess here, there's a mess there. Les poissons, les poissons, hee, hee, he. hee. I mean, I'm much more like freestyling Buck Wilden in the kitchen, and, and testing out the sauces, nibbling a little bit here and there. I'm just not... I'm not rigid about keeping the kitchen super clean because I like to think of it like I'm an artiste, and sometimes the artiste gets messy. Meanwhile, when Molly's in charge, uh, y- you, could, you could eat off the floor, pick any kitchen surface, and it is, is absolutely, I, I think it, it could probably qualify as sterilized. So on the other hand, uh, whenever I've done some cooking, I have to admit that Molly's not the only one who has pointed out that for some time thereafter it, it tends to just smell like bacon In not just the kitchen But the whole apartment Now it's, it's not a big apartment But it does have the aroma of bacon everywhere And so she'll come home from work And she'll say You know, hey honey The place, place smells like bacon again And I'm like, exactly She's like, no, I don't think it should smell like bacon all the time And I'm like, huh? Why not? What's wrong with that? I put bacon in my Brussels sprouts. I put bacon in my on my burgers. I, I, I use bacon for all kinds of stuff. In fact, if I can spruce up some veggies with some bacon, I feel like that's just win-win for everybody, right? So that, that's my plan for this weekend. Um, I'm finally going to be braising some meat, and uh, pulled pork is most likely. There are some recipes for pulled pork that I've found uh, that you can do in the crock pot or the slow cooker, where you you just like, you just find a big heap of pork, which already sounds amazing. And then you just throw a bunch of spice on it and add some root beer or whatever, whatever you got, uh, and, and just let it, let it ride for like eight hours. So that's going to do that. Probably going to watch some Narco season three, but I'm getting ahead of myself because I know it's only uh, Thursday right now. And this is more of a Friday, more of a Friday conversation. Uh, so Yeah, that's that's my plan tonight. Actually, Thai food is going to be on the menu. So, I I can't make Thai food. I I think getting the ingredients is just too. This is why takeout in New York is is so fun because to to make Indian or Thai or Vietnamese, you've got to have the ingredients, and to get them is not that easy. And if you only use them once, it's actually pretty expensive to do that cooking. So. That, at least that's my excuse, that's what I tell myself So I can uh, you know, sleep at night when I don't cook the stuff that is more adventurous um, But that's, that's what I've got, that's what i got planned Also thinking that on Monday, uh, which is Columbus Day, isn't it? Uh, I, I, am, I am not expecting to have a Monday off from radio I will be here with you in the Freedom Hut So if you do have the day off, you have no excuse not to listen for the uh, full three hours of the show Maybe we'll do some history of Columbus. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if there will be any of those protests. You know, for, for a little while there, people were saying Columbus, genocide, racism. Was that just then and now they've forgotten about that? Are we going to have a pretty quiet Columbus Day? I, I suppose we will just have to wait and see. Uh, so that's that's some things to put forward there, team. As always, I, I greatly appreciate you uh, hanging out with me here in the Freedom Hunt. Uh, if you're listening to the show and you have not already, please do subscribe. You go to Buck Sexton with America now on iTunes. Click subscribe. We're doing great numbers, everybody, on the podcast. I really appreciate that. And that's largely just word of mouth. Many of you who listen to the show live and you've got a friend or somebody somewhere, family member who's not in an area where we yet have an affiliate, although our affiliate list is, is growing uh, rapidly too, Uh, But you can have them download the podcast or listen on the iHeart app, and that is very much appreciated. And it's just a way to grow the team. And uh, if if you want to help out with what we're doing here, if you want to help me, Ty, Amy, and and the whole crew, the whole Freedom Hut Squad, just tell tell a friend or two over the next week, the next few days, whatever, however you can. Uh, It is a great compliment to the show when you pass along that you think this is worthwhile. Looking forward to a Friday show with all kinds of uh, exciting stuff tomorrow. So uh, get ready for that, my friends. It'll be a Freestyle Friday with all sorts of good stuff going on. And until then, no matter what comes your way, you know what's coming now. Shields high.